Hi, and welcome to another episode of Forgotten Cello Music, coming to you from Traveling Cello. Hi, I'm Aaron. Today is episode 16, Cello in the 18th Century in Germany. I'll be taking the bulk of the information from The Violin Cello and Its History by Joseph Wasilewski, pages 67 to 86. The German title, which is the original, Das Violoncello und seine Geschichte. Recalling from episode 15, which was all about Bernhard Romberg, in today's episode I wish to inject a little context into the scene which Romberg was born into. In the reading from this source, The Violoncello and Its History by Joseph Wasilewski, it was apparent that the cello was ripe for development, Romberg having been born at the right time, and having disciplined himself to mastering the instrument and expanding its technical expectations. Now, just in these pages of exploring the cello in Germany in the 18th century, there are mentioned by name 61 cellists. There is a short introduction to bring us into the context of German cello playing in the 18th century, starting on page 67. The violin cello had already found its place as an orchestral instrument about the year 1680 at Vienna, and in 1709 in the Dresden Royal Orchestra. Towards 1720, it had penetrated also into northern Germany, since the band of the Duke of Holstein Gottorp evidently possessed one. At the same period, this stringed instrument must have been extensively used in other parts of Germany. Otherwise, Johann Sebastian Bach would scarcely have conceived of the idea of composing for it his solo sonata. This is referring to his solo suites for cello. And these were already extant between the years 1717 and 1724. There were even at that time two German violoncellists who appeared to Gerber of sufficient importance for him to give them a place in his Dictionary of Music. Their names are Tremer and Riedel, or in my best German pronunciation, Tremer und Riedel. Page 68. The number of German violoncello players very soon increased. And then after this, he mentions dozens of capable cellists who could coax beautiful sounds out of their instruments in all the ways played up to that point. Now skipping to page 72 after the mention of a number of cellists, and those cellists all have short biographical sketches attached to them, some a few sentences and others a couple of paragraphs even. On page 72 there comes a cellist who takes up multiple pages of information on account of his special skills, and I'm going to quote a few passages now. That cellist, Johann Jäger, must be noticed with special distinction as belonging to the German cellists of the last century. Schubert 
this is spelled S-C-H-U-B-A-R-T, who must have known him personally, says in his eccentric manner, Jaeger is quite original, his bowing new, unconstrained, and impetuously fiery. All masters apply the thumb to the D string, and so bring out the high passages. But Jaeger departs entirely from this method, a proof that his genius has more than one way of attaining his aim. He goes with lightning dexterity up to the DNA strings in the highest parts and brings out the most delicate phrases with the greatest tenderness and sweetness. Jaeger is also a great reed, prima vista. That is, he can play from the music at sight the most difficult pieces with wonderful art. His compositions were not published at the time of the publication of the Violoncello and its History, 1894. They are also not present in IMSLP, where I first look for scores in the public domain. Going on to page 74. During the second half of the last century, the art of the violoncello playing had already very extensively spread throughout Germany and had many more noteworthy representatives than in Italy and France. Page 75. Germany called out more instrumental vigor in order to satisfy the need of good musicians for the numberless courts. According to Gottlieb Friedrich Krabel's European Genealogical Handbook of the year 1770, there were, including the Romaic German Emperor and the King of Prussia, over 200 secular and spiritual princes and sovereign courts, the greater number of whom supported Kapelle, which are termed bands, or at least chamber music. These persons considered it of utmost importance to have about them not only good violin and wind instrument players, but also capable violoncellists, and consequently more talented young men devoted themselves in Germany to instrumental music, and especially to violoncello playing, than elsewhere. The cello was introduced from Italy to Germany by way of Vienna. In the Austrian capital, the imperial family, from the reign of Maximilian I onward, presented to the inhabitants of Vienna a good example as regarded the encouragement of music. Indeed, the cello was already a natural choice as an orchestral instrument by this time. Vienna, residing within her walls, had a number of remarkable solo cellists. Two, Schindlöcker, and one Josef Weiger, uh, among others. Then on to page 76. Although it had already been well represented under Frederick the Great, he does not appear to have thought much of the violoncello, which he feigned to allude to as that nasal instrument, his favorite instrument being the flute. There in Berlin, the violoncello first came to be appreciated at its due value through Frederick Wilhelm II, the nephew of Frederick the Great. Frederick Wilhelm II liked the violoncello and well understood how to handle it. He appears to have played the gamba in his younger days, for it is reported that the gambit Hesse first taught him though his instruction might have also referred to the violoncello, which Minigambis took up at the same time. 
There it mentions a cellist by the name of Graziani, and no first name is given in this context, was master to the Prussian heir to the throne. But when Duport the Elder came to Berlin in 1773, Graziani was dismissed in favor of Duport the Elder. The future King Frederick Wilhelm II must have played with taste and readiness. It is well known that Beethoven dedicated to him his two cello sonatas, Opus 5. From pages 77 to 82, these six pages contain brief sentences or paragraphs of now completely unknown cellists who made their mark on cello in their day. Most of those named were born between 1750 and 1770. Then it goes on, Besides Reicher and Wilmann, the celebrated violoncellist Bernhard Romberg belonged to the Capella at Bonn from 1790 to 1793. With regard to this artist, the necessary information will be given in the next section on Germany, for the distinctive influence of his work belongs to the 19th century. Page 84. Then it goes on that with the short bios of dozens more capable cellists, then one Johann Gottfried Arnold, 1773-1806, had already attracted notice by his performances at the age of eight. In the year 1796, he had the opportunity in Hamburg to hear Bernhard Romberg and learning from him. As is mentioned in the section dedicated to Romberg's biography, this deserves special mention since Romberg seldom gave lessons and never kept a permanent studio. Page 85. In conclusion, it says, These distinguished men, up to this period, with few exceptions, endeavored, besides their practical work, to create by their compositions a literature for their instrument. They wrote concertos, sonatas, and works with variations in considerable numbers. Feti has mentioned the greater number of these compositions in the respective articles of his Biographie Universelle des Musiciens. These productions were substantially increased by other musicians who were not cello players. And before all, the most prominent are Philipp Emanuel Bach and Josef Haydn. Now there were other master composers of the time who are not played as much today, but were in their own right masters of their craft and known to be so in their day. There is mentioned Paul Reninsky, uh, Ignaz Pleyel, Franz Anton Hofmeister, Franz Christian Neubauer, Leopold Hofmann, and Johann Ludwig Willing. The first three are the only names that I know of today, Reninsky, Pleyel, and Hofmeister. I've played a little bit by all three of those. The greater number of these compositions, whether emanating from violoncello players or not, are interesting only insofar as from them 
may be gathered what position the German violoncello played held in the second half of the last century. The technique at the end of the period mentioned has made great progress, and Germany, as compared with Italy, even taking into consideration certain cello pieces by Boccherini, was not behindhand. A universally current method for the manipulation of the fingerboard and also for bowing had indeed not yet been attained in either of the two countries. The testing in every way of the executive capabilities of the violoncello naturally followed, as well as discovering the various combinations for playing double stops, the formation of passages and ornaments, and the endeavor to develop and present them in a manner suitable to the nature of the instrument. These trial stages which cello composition had to pass through were necessary in order to arrive at a literature of artistic worth. Now, in conclusion, even though the cello was in full use as a solo instrument throughout the 1700s, it had not yet developed a systematic technique that could be applied. There were numerous capable and fluid cellists who doubtless improved and elevated the technique and extended what could be expected to be played on the cello. And there were many master composers, not the least of which were Haydn and Beethoven, uh, and of course Baccarini, who was a cellist. Baccarini was known to be a competent composer. In, indeed, we know Baccarini as a composer. We remember him as a composer rather than as a cellist. And these composers wrote substantial works that would set the bar artistically and technically higher for the instrument. It would not be until Romberg developed into a master cellist and prolific composer in the late 1700s throughout his life in the early 1800s. He died in 1841. That cello playing and cello music would get its boost in artistry. Romberg seems to have been the master cellist who not only gained utmost technical proficiency over every aspect of cello playing, but codified the technique of that mastery. This episode has been about the cello in the 18th century in Germany. It has shown us that the cello was already in wide use. This brings us to the end of episode 16. Remember to play more forgotten cello music and see you in the next episode.